Well, good morning again, church. Thanks so much for gathering here this morning, and thank you for bringing the, the church into uh, this sanctuary. It's good to be able to gather for worship uh, together. If you're gathered for uh, Crosspoint uh, at home, thanks for bringing the church into your living room, your dining room, wherever it is uh, that you are gathered. Uh, I'm excited, as always, to get to, to preach, to open up God's uh, word with you all this morning. We are actually concluding uh, this series called On Earth As It Is in heaven. Uh, this is something that we've been returning to each January, taken directly from the Lord's prayer that in Matthew chapter six, the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, teach us to pray. And so he gives them this prayer, really this, this model, this template of sorts. Yes, it can be prayed word for word, but it also is an invitation to focus on particular themes. And so what we have tried to do each year when we return to this is to zero in on Matthew 6, verse 10, where part of the prayer says this, your kingdom come. Like, notice what is absent there. It doesn't say, you know, may your kingdom, meaning my kingdom or your kingdom, you know, you put your name in there. No, no, it's like, may the Lord's kingdom come. May his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we've been trying to explore that aspect of the prayer, asking ourselves to, what would it look like to open ourselves up to be used by God in this full surrender, rather than starting out the new year with just what are my hopes and aspirations and dreams and what are yours and your resolutions? Not that any of those things are wrong. Those things have a place but what would it look like to be a community that says, Lord, at the end of the day, we know the most joy actually is found in your kingdom advancing, your will being done, you getting the glory. Like when we pursue God in his glory, that's actually the place that we find joy. The things that we check off, they're like, oh, I hit this resolution, I did this. That might provide some temporal fleeting moments of joy and happiness, but then it is like a mist and it vanishes. The thing that lasts is to be part of God's work. And yet in this, I think if we're honest, we know this, if you've been around the church for a while, and yet it can be one of those things that we just hear and we sort of ignore it. Like this morning as I was driving in, all right, um, I always get about the same place out of the neighborhood and there's a buzz that happens on my wrist and I will look down and I'll notice my watch and it will send me a message. Those of you that have some sort of smart watch uh, know this, but I don't know if you get the exact same message that I do. I got the message this morning as I was leaving the neighborhood in this sort of passive aggressive encouragement that said, make it happen, Jamie. Your exercise didn't get the love yesterday that it should have, basically, right? And I'm just like, shut up, watch, right? And I'm just like hitting it um, and just filled with shame as I drive to church this morning. Like, that's the vision we're going for, right? Like, that sort of message, though, that is there, and it can almost feel like this guilt thing of like, oh, I didn't do this. And then truth be told, I get that same message every day. New Year's resolution for me was work out once in January. I've done it. That's basically what it's amounted to, okay? Um, and like in all seriousness. And so that message has popped up every single day or some variation of it so far in the month of January. You know what I do? I ignore it, right? And I'll like, maybe I'll pay attention to it tomorrow. It just sort of becomes this sort of background noise. And my fear is when we talk about this invitation to pursue the kingdom of God and even what we're gonna look at this morning in our call to be about this mission of making disciples, there can be a tendency, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, to like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know that, and then maybe I'll get to that at some other time. But what if actually joining in in this, that these fresh reminders from the Lord 
They're not to guilt us, to make us feel shame, but rather they're the Lord's invitation to say, I have so much more for you. And not just for you individually, but collectively with this people that the Lord has gathered in his kindness and his grace. And so each week as we've gathered, we've been looking at this Hebrew word mishpat, which is translated as justice, but it's far more than just the way we tend to think about justice. We tend to think about it in a rectifying sense, which is certainly a component, right? Like somebody breaks into your home, they steal something, like you want justice, right, to happen. And that is true and that is good. But there's also this restorative work where there's things set in a right order, the way God intended them to be. And throughout the scriptures, over 200 times in the Old Testament, this word shows up. And it ties directly to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, because the Lord's kingdom advancing, the Lord's will being done, a way we can think about that is that mishpat writes, meaning those that are the Lord has a particular people that are broken and in needing, need, and mission. What is the mission of the church? What is it that we are actually called to and invited into? And if we were to flip a few pages, if you were in the book of Matthew and you got to the Lord's Prayer and then you just kept going, eventually you get to the end of the book of Matthew and you get to Matthew 28. And Jesus' final words before he is getting ready to leave this earth, you know it as the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Like Jesus has this work for us to do. And so what I want us to consider this morning is that calling of the church. And this might feel a little different than some of the themes that we've looked at before in regards to God's multi-ethnic family, racial reconciliation, last week looking at the sanctity of life. But I want you to reframe this idea of making disciples and see how it really directly does tie to Mishpat. Because as human beings, how we were created was to have a rightly ordered relationship with the creator of the universe. And friends, there are so many people that do not know the love of Christ. They do not have this vertical relationship with their maker restored. And there is no mishpat. There's no right ordering that they are experiencing. And people have a right to actually know. People have a right to hear the good news. And God, in his kindness to us, has said, I don't need you, but I am going to work in and through my people, the church, so that disciples would be made. This idea of the mission of God sometimes goes by the Latin phrase, the missio Dei. Like we are a people that have been sent by God. Jesus told his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so what would it look like for us to embrace that calling? The theologian Christopher Wright wrote a a book called The Mission of God, and he kind of traces this overarching biblical theme, this theme throughout the totality of the scriptures, that it is present from beginning to end. You cannot escape it. One of the ways to actually understand the Bible is under this sort of biblical theology of the mission of God. And in summation, he says this. He says, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Subtle but profound difference. Let me read it again. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church. All right, here's the church, right? Well, go busy yourself, go do this thing. But rather, no, God has brought about the church, is that God has a church 
for his mission so that there might be more disciples, that there might be more worship of Jesus, that there might be more mishpat, rightly ordered relationships with God our Father, our Creator, and then out to one another. He continues, mission then was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. And so in this concluding week, which I hope is no conclusion at all. I actually hope this is fuel for us throughout the year that is 2023, that we would see the high and lofty and just gracious calling of the Lord that he wants to work in and through us, that we are sent people. Friends, if you're here this morning and you would claim to be a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary, 100%. And so that means we need to start thinking like missionaries, acting like missionaries, that one of the largest mission fields in the world is right here in this particular area, right? That as the West grows more secular, grows more disconnected from God and the ways of Jesus, there is this massive opportunity that we have. And this is not to knock going overseas and missions. That is wonderful. We'll continue to support that and do that. And yet we shouldn't only think about someplace over there. We have to also see it here. Some of you know this story. A number of years ago, Heather and I were leading our community group on Thursday nights, and there was a new family that was here at the church for a while. And I was, we got talking to them and what brought you here? And they're like, yeah, we've heard. Well, welcome to our living room, right? <laughs> and yet they were spot on. They were seeing the need. And what if we had eyes to see the need that is all around us? And so as we think about this, all right, I want to tie this and look at a fresh reminder as we start the year together. What is then, how do we talk about it? What's the language, all right? Every church should have the same mission, go and make disciples, right? And do it for the glory of God and the good of people. Like that should, that's the summary, like that's the essence And yet we can all use different language to help express that. And the way we express that at Crosspoint is this, that we want to point our community to Jesus. This is what we think people need. They don't need you or me. They don't need an awesome church experience. They need Jesus, right? And I need Jesus and you need Jesus. So we're going to point our community, the community that is the church and the community that we live in. We're going to point to Jesus. And then we're praying that these things would happen, that these aspects would come to characterize us as God's people, but also then the people that we meet, that we interact with, that we live on mission and we love them and we point them to Jesus, that they then would come to know God and that they would come to find the liberation, a freedom that's found only in the gospel, that they would experience a sense of belonging, knowing that they've got a place. It doesn't matter their background doesn't matter socioeconomic class they're in, doesn't matter their education level, doesn't matter, none of that stuff matters, that they belong to the family, the people of God, and that they would be about this work of seeking renewal. And so the tension in this is to talk about those things and maybe make it like, okay, this is what we hope for other people. But what I hope is we look at, I think, one of the best texts where I think we see these aspects so clearly laid out in Acts chapter 2 that we would see it at kind of two levels. At one level, we would see it as, yes, there's a great need, and Lord, send me out. Help me make disciples. Help me point people to Jesus. Help me, like, use me so that people might come to to know you as the one true God, that they might find freedom, experience belonging, be about this work of mishpat, renewal, all of that. And we long for that. 
And yet it also is a message continually to us that every single one of us, including this person here on the stage with the headset microphone, right? Like all of us need to be pointed to Jesus. And here's the cool thing. God clearly knows what he's doing. He's got a great plan. He's like, hey, let me simplify it for you. So I think we tend to complicate things and we're like, oh, is this for the believer or is it the unbeliever? And he's like, yes, right? Because he's like, guess what? The person who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they need the gospel. They need the good news. And guess what? You, if you've been walking with Jesus for decades, need. You need more of the gospel, more of Jesus. That's what we all need. And so we can tend to complicate it. And Jesus is making it very simple for us. Like, hey, it's just the gospel. And as the gospel permeates and brings this transformation, it's our prayer then that we would see these things begin to characterize our life as disciples and that we would see new disciples being made who know these things, that they would know Jesus intimately. And so to help us with that, we're going to look at a portion of Acts chapter 2. The whole chapter is marvelous. It's just incredible. You should go and read all of it. But we're going to pick it up in verse 22. And so I encourage you, if you got a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to kind of take it in sections. I'm not going to read all of it at once. I want you to have it in front of you. There are Bibles in the pews this morning too. You can take one of those. And again, if you don't own a Bible or you got one in some translation that's hard to make sense of, would you take one of those as a, as a gift? You can also get your phone out and go to thisiscp.church and the little next steps, that little blue footstep icon in the lower right corner of your screen you will see, you can click on that and there'll be a spot to click on sermon notes. Or you can use the QR code in the pew. We're just trying to make lots of ways, make it all accessible, right? So Acts chapter 2, 22 to 47. Let me give some context here. As we prepare to get into this text, Jesus has given the Great Commission. Jesus has gathered in Acts chapter 1 with his disciples and he's telling them, hey, I'm going I'm to send the Holy Spirit. I need you to just wait here. And you will be my witnesses, he says, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. He's saying it's going to start hyper-local. It's going to start right here. And then it's going to spill out into the surrounding area. Then it's going to cross not only geographic, but ethnic lines and religious lines as it spills out into Samaria. And it's eventually going to go to the ends of the earth. And if you're like, wow, did that happen? Yeah, you're here this morning. It happened, right? And it's continuing to happen. And the Lord is continuing to invite us in to participate. And so Jesus ascends. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has shown up. Jesus promised that he would send the helper. And like tongues of fire are falling on people. And people are speaking in languages that they didn't know, right? And because there's people from all in their language, they're under there at this particular time. And they're hearing These words spoken in their language, they're understanding it. And Peter gets up. This is where we're going to pick up. He gets up to preach this sermon. In the scriptures, the first recorded sermon not done by Jesus, right? So the start of the church. And he gets up and he begins to boldly declare. Now, please keep this in mind. Two things. One, you and I may never have the crowd that Peter has gathered here. You might. That's awesome if it is. But don't think about it only in those terms. The call is he's proclaiming Jesus. And that can happen over a cup of coffee with somebody. That can happen standing in your backyard, talking across the fence to your neighbor. That can happen with a coworker. You know, that can happen in lots of different ways. 
Sometimes very large crowds, but most of the time, small, intimate spaces. That's likely what it's going to look like most of the time for most of us. And then if you feel this pressure of like, yeah, but I don't, I don't know if I got my life together. Like, I'll eventually get this, and then I'll be a disciple who makes disciples. Let's just remember who's giving this sermon. It's Peter, the one who not once, not twice, but three times denied even knowing the Lord Jesus. The one who was like, Jesus, I'm coming for you. I want to walk on water and did it for a couple of steps and then began to sink, right? It's this guy. He doesn't have it all together. He's not the best of the best. When Jesus came and kind of brought him back in, all right, after the resurrection, he found Peter just back working his job as a fisherman. Not that there was anything wrong with that, but clearly Peter had thought, my time's over, I messed up, and Jesus welcomes man, and he says, feed my sheep. That's what he commissions him to do. And so Peter, with this boldness, empowered by the Spirit, the same Spirit, friends, that's in you and me this morning if you're in Christ. And so as we read this, I want to start with the ending because the last verse, verse 47, includes these words, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's a picture of the start of the church. And it tells us, not Peter, not James, not John, not you, not me is adding to the number, but the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The gospel's going forward. The missio day, the mission of God is advancing. And so what I want to spend a little bit of time doing then is looking at this sermon that Peter preaches and the results of it. And to help us see when we point people to Jesus, And when we ourselves are pointed to Jesus, first, we actually come to know God. So look with me at verses 22 to 36. This is obviously the longest section. There's far more in here than we have time to cover, but I just want to read this and keep this in mind. Right before I read it, let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. Paul writes, for what we proclaim, we don't proclaim ourselves. People don't need more of you and me and our hot takes and opinions and all of these things, right? It's not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves. We just get to operate as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, and this is new creation, Genesis 1 language, let light shine out of the darkness. Guess what? He's done it again in salvation, has shown in our hearts to give the light of what? Of the knowledge of the glory of God. He's speaking about coming to know God. And notice what he says, in the face of Jesus Christ. And so when we point people to Jesus, guess what? They actually get to come, they come to know the real and living God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so as we look at this, we're going to see Peter boldly proclaim Jesus. He's pointing his community to Jesus. And as 2 Corinthians says, they're going to come to know God. And so again, Acts 2, 22 to 36. I'll read this in its entirety, and then we'll look at a couple of things here. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, He's preaching to a very Jewish audience, and he's saying, hey, you know David, King David, all right? And he begins to quote out of Psalm 16 here. 
David says concerning Jesus, like hundreds of years before David was writing about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. He's like, friends, you know this. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, that's David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Quoting Psalm 110. And let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, or Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. So if we look at that, there's a ton there. I just wanted to be very clear in this. Our responsibility, our privilege, we get to tell people about Jesus. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Peter's the one proclaiming this. You're not going to get the words right. I'm not going to get the words right. We're going to, you know, just kind of make our way through it at times. But God works through us. Broken vessels, His spirit is doing the work. And all we get to do simply is to tell the story of Jesus. And that's what Peter is doing here. Peter's not going on his record, like being like, hey, look at me, follow me. He's like, no, 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 let me tell you about Jesus. And as I tell you about Jesus, you'll actually get to know the real God. And so he speaks then very powerfully about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the exaltation of Jesus. We could do an entire series just on these aspects. We won't try and do that right now, but just look back at this text. You see it in verse 22, right? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, he's from a very specific place in flesh and blood. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He's like, you know about the life of Jesus, You know that when he was on this earth, he did these miracles, these supernatural occurrences took place, but really what he was doing, he's bringing mishpat. He's bringing the right ordering. He's restoring things the way God originally intended them to be. He would look at a disease or he'd look at somebody that's overlooked. You'd say, that's not actually right. That's an unnatural thing. Let me restore what is most natural, meaning restoring things the way God intended things to be. And so he speaks of the life of Jesus. He's very clear about that, but he's also very clear about the death of Jesus. In verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And presents, he doesn't shy away from it. He's like, Jesus was killed by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, that God knew the only way to get us back was that he was going to have to send his son, who was going to live a sinless life, who would go to a cross, who would die the death that you and I deserve, that the father would pour his wrath, his full wrath, his punishment of sin would be put on his son. This is the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. All of this plan from eternity to the past, he knew this, he did this, right? 
so that it would be poured out on Jesus and that Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he would be cut off so that you and I could be brought in, so that we could become disciples who would go and make disciples. All of this part of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And then, and yet, it says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So which is it? God's sovereignty or human responsibility? If you're picking up a theme here, the answer, once again, is yes. There's a mystery here that I think we venture into dangerous territory and we think, well, I can fully explain this. I went to seminary for a couple of years, whatever. Like, listen, like, there's a mystery here. And we have to embrace, this is part of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And yet, Peter speaks boldly. Listen, our sin put Jesus on the cross. He's talking to that crowd there and he's saying, your sin, like you're part of putting the God-man Jesus to death. This is why we're going to see in a minute that they're cut to the heart, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But that's not the end of the story. And he speaks of resurrection. And so again, these wonderful verses, drop down to verse 32, this God, this Jesus, God raised up and we are all witnesses. And he speaks of this unshakable hope. Friends, there's not much in life, I think you know this, right, that feels unshakable. I mean, we constantly, I think, feel disoriented, a bit just sort of like, what is happening, a bit discombobulated. We can lack direction and purpose at times. Things don't often feel unshakable. But because the resurrection is true, it means this, that you and I are part of a story. There's this unshakable hope that we have in the finished work of Jesus, that whatever you're facing right now, like there is going to be good that comes from it, even if we can't see it. That's what's spoken of here. And so what is Peter doing? He's just saying, friends, I want to tell you about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And then in verses 33 to 36, he's like, and also I need you to know that he's ruling and reigning right now, being therefore exalted at the right hand of having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's poured out this that you yourselves, he says, are hearing, seeing and hearing. For David not, did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then Peter concludes, so let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he doesn't shy away from saying the hard things. He's speaking the truth in love. And so when we point our community to Jesus, when we point one another to Jesus, and we talk about his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, his promised return, this is what we promise to continually talk about at Crosspoint. It's all we have to talk about. When that happens, when we sort of gospel one another, when we share this, when we get in community groups or a study, or we're just having conversation, we pray for one another, we sing songs over one another, right? Like these things are ways that we're saying, hey, I'm gonna point you to Jesus. Help point me to Jesus. We're getting to know the real God. And when you point your neighbor to Jesus or that relative that thinks you're crazy for what you believe, right? Or that coworker, you're helping them know the real God. So ask yourself this, are you just giving people good news? Are you giving people good news or just good advice? What Peter is laying out for us, this is good news. Something historically has happened. This is all true and verifiable. He says, we are all witnesses. Now, as we point our community to Jesus as well, not only do they get to know the real God, not only do we get to know the real God, we get to come, we come to find freedom in the gospel, The scriptures tell us over and over again that if we are not in Christ, we are still slaves to sin. And even 
those of us that are followers of Jesus, we know that sin constantly is kind of grasping. Like there's these shackles that we still have. We sometimes think our, our sin might be the place of actual joy. And we keep running back to these things, but the Lord is wanting to free us. And so notice the, the language here. It tells us in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. All of life should be one of repentance. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And guess what? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like you can get in on this too for the promise. It's not just for you and your children. It's also for those who are, all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, that's not a bad first sermon, right? I was like, okay. He preaches this, 3,000 people get saved. But at the end of the day, it's the Lord who's doing the work. Did you notice this language? Right? It's like they're... They're cut to the heart. It's, it's the Lord that's doing that work. It's not our responsibility. You don't have to present the perfect witness as if you're going to convince somebody on your own. I love the language, right? That it's the Lord who is doing this work. Even as we looked at verse 47, the Lord added to their number. The Lord is doing this. He's simply inviting us to point our community to Jesus. And in that, people find freedom. Jesus would speak of this in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then he says this, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But that's very different than how we tend to talk about the truth in kind of our pop culture vernacular these days, where it's speak your truth, right? That's not what Jesus is getting at. He's not saying, share your opinion, all right? Share those things if it's truth, all right? Like, you just got to state what you think and believe and, and your take and everything, and then you'll somehow be free. No, he's saying, the truth that actually sets you free is the truth of the life, death, resurrection, exaltation of Jesus. The good news, not simply good advice. And so, friends, we get to proclaim this. And so I want to ask you, as we consider this, are you helping people to grapple with this? Like, it's so difficult. I think one of our challenges today is it's so easy to be distracted. And I'm not saying this for the people out there, right? Like, oh, they're all distracted and we're completely devoted to Jesus. No, no, no. How? I mean, you know this, right? It's so, there's so many distractions. And so often, they're actually really good things. I'm not knocking these things. But when it comes to like wrestling through this, like they're cut to the heart. The spirit is doing something. There's this moment, like Peter just makes sure it's abundantly clear, like this is what you need. We have an invitation to help people grapple and wrestle. If you've got questions and doubts, we're so glad that you're here. We want to have a space for that. But ask yourself, are you helping people to think through, to grapple with what ultimately matters? Martin Lloyd-Jones, British pastor, once wrote these words I'll share with you in just, just a moment here. And this is like pre-internet, pre-smartphone, pre-Netflix, pre-all of it, right? And he still recognized the great temptation of distraction. 
And he said, the spirit always leads people to think. And the greatest trouble is that men and women go through life without thinking, or they think for a moment, but find it painful. So they stop and they turn to a bottle of whiskey or television or something else, anything to forget. And so friends, our opportunity is repeatedly, joyfully, faithfully point our community to Jesus, point ourselves to Jesus, find a freedom then that comes from that. And so at this place, then we get to verses 42 to 47. As people are pointed to Jesus, a community is birthed. A community springs forth. And it's so beautifully described here in verses 42 to 47. Just some glorious verses. Now, don't over-idealize this though either. Because most of the rest of the New Testament are corrective letters from Paul and others saying, hey, like you're getting it wrong, right? But there is this description here in Acts 2 that's like, oh, but look what happens when there is flourishing, when people are living not for themselves and their kingdom, but they're seeking a mishpat, they're seeking a right ordering, they're sharing the good news of the gospel. They're not loading people up with guilt and shame. And there's this experience of belonging that begins to take place as a community is pointed to Jesus Look at these words. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad, but also notice this, and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And there's this line again. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. They had favor with all the people. I believe one of the things that this is describing is certainly a favor between those who've become Christians and this rich fellowship they had. And it's amazing. But there's something wonderful that this puts on display that helps us even see in all of this. This doesn't have to be linear. It's not like, all right, well, let's find somebody to preach a message to thousands of people. Then they'll be cut to the heart and then it'll result in this community. Like it may work that way. But increasingly, you know, what I think is the great apologetic in our time and in our place is we get to invite people in to start to belong to a community of faith before they even believe. Now, that doesn't mean we wrongly say, oh, yeah, you're a Christian just because you've come to church. No, that would be a great disservice and unloving to them. But we do get to invite people in and to say, hey, you're invited to come and to participate and to ask your questions and just develop genuine friendships this favor with all the people. I have to imagine that this community, what they were experiencing is their friends and neighbors and coworkers and such were beginning to get time around this Christian community and it became an apologetic, a witness to the power of the gospel. Maybe a way to think about it is this, there can be a belonging before believing. In fact, so many people come to know the Lord Jesus through being invited into a rich community, this rich fellowship, and they have space to grapple with their questions. And it was this type of community that the language says they were devoted to it. Friends, are you devoted? Am I devoted to this type of community, this sense of belonging? Does my objective belonging that I have to the family, does it result 
in my schedule looking different, where I'm getting time with people, I'm getting time with neighbors, I'm inviting people in. Is there even a rich community for you to invite somebody into? Or do you just talk about that in general or in theory? Like we need one another. And so it starts here in the church and then we have this space to invite one another. There's this really fascinating Greek word here that when it says devoted, this proskartario, all right? I'm probably mispronouncing that, but whatever, right? Um, It literally means, one of the translations is persist obstinately in. And that's actually being used in a good way, right? You're like, wow, this person's really persistent and obstinate. Want to be friends, right? Like this doesn't always feel like the best thing. But it's talking about this level of devotion. Persist obstinately in. Like they're all in. They can't get enough. I don't know why my mind went to this, but I was like literally picturing like our, Heather and I, our first dog, all right? Uh, This yellow lab named Caspian. I've told stories about him before. And here's another one. If you've, maybe you've heard this. I have no idea. After like 13 years of preaching, I have no idea which illustrations I've shared anymore, all right? But uh, the reality is I had, he was intentionally, obstinately devoted to a Frisbee, right? Um, and so he would bring it to you and you'd go throw it. And it, he, I mean, literally, it was like this athletic feat. He had, you know, it would just like jump in the air, bound in the air, catch this Frisbee. And one day, because I did not possess the athleticism as, of my dog, I had this errant throw and it veered over towards the house into the freshly cut viburnum, if you know those bushes, right? And the, the shoots that had been uh, freshly cut. And he went in because the Frisbee was going there, leapt into the bushes, somehow caught it and comes running back, tail wet. All right, with blood pouring down his face. All right, just like I got the frisbee. Right, like all happy. Apparently, one of those viburnum shoots had gone right up his nostril. Right, Um, but it didn't stop him. He was what persistently obstinate in this just devotion. Right, he's like I'm all in, and that's a silly illustration. Except what I'm seeing here is a group of people that are just like we're all in. And this just sort of joy, even in the midst of pain and hardship, it's like, but we're all in. There's this devotion. Are you devoted to one another? Friends, the world actually needs us to be devoted to one another, not to the exclusion of others, but it says the Lord added to their number day by day. It means they were welcoming. Maybe a way to think about this is community and belonging. It's not a fixed pie. You tracking with with that? I'll put a piece of pie up in case you're hungry, right? Um, Belonging, meaning this. It's like, oh, yeah, well, there it is, and it's fixed. And meaning, like, there's only so much that can go around. And we tend to view community that way. I got to keep my friends. I got to keep this. There's not enough room. If other people start showing up, what's that going to do? Is it going to disrupt my friendships? And the Bible knows nothing of that. It's open, and people come in. They start to belong. Many become professing believers. It's not a fixed pie. There's plenty to go around. There's this beautiful, rich community. And so in closing, again, we ask ourselves, are you devoted to one another? This is what we get to invite people in. And lastly, it's in these verses as well. As we point our community to Jesus, we get to be about this work and invite other people into seeking renewal to invite them to join in this work that God is doing. We need to hear the call ourselves. We get to be sent out into the community. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And friends, I want to talk very specifically about a couple of ways. How can we live these words out? What we saw in verse 44 and 45, and all who believed were together. They had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belonging as distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And don't misinterpret that, right? Some people will be like, yeah, none of us should have you know, possessions and capitalism's wrong. And all. Listen, like, we can have those debates another time. But this clearly is just saying it's a group of people that didn't live as owners, they lived as stewards. And they didn't give everything away because it says they met in people's homes, all right? So it wasn't like they gave everything away. But what they did do is they said, listen, this home doesn't ultimately belong to me. And this money doesn't belong to me. My time doesn't belong to me. And these resources that I have, they don't ultimately belong to me. Like, I want to leverage those things for the kingdom because that's actually where joy is found. And so they lived as disciples, making disciples. And so, friends, we want to continually not just talk about these things, but how are we going to, like, kind of boots on the ground, how are we going to live this out? And so I want to direct your attention to a couple of things and one new opportunity as well. If you go on our website now, you will see at this is cp.church slash mishpat up in the upper toolbar um, is an entire page dedicated to opportunities to be involved in seeking to bring renewal. I shared a bit of this at the vision night, um, but on that page, if you go there, one of the things you will see is a new initiative. You can talk to our outreach director, just outreach director, Jessica Green as well, if you want more info, but we will be sending out information on how you can serve a school that's literally a few blocks from here where as, as we've gotten to know that school through the social worker that's there, the full-time social worker, more than 60% of the kids at that school are on free or reduced lunch. I mean, there's some great economic need that's there. There are kids every single week that do not have food to sustain them through the weekend. And so food is donated and there's a group of people. And by a group of people, I mean most of the time the social worker by herself packing backpacks full of food to send on the buses home with the kids so they might actually have some nutrition to make it through till they get back on Monday and they can be provided meals at school. And so in talking with her, there'll be other opportunities, but just a place to start. She's like, oh, it would be such a blessing if there were some folks that would come in and not only to donate some food, but to help me put these backpacks together. And so there'll be a sign up, a way to do that. Maybe you can go once a month. Maybe you go every week. Maybe you can go every once in a while. But like, this is a very practical way to bring mishpat, to bring some renewal. And so I would encourage you to make use of that. There are other opportunities on that, that page, other things that we're getting involved with. One you heard about last week is on March 5th, there's going to be a foster care support lunch to learn more about this organization, C-127. This doesn't mean you're signing up to foster a child. It's saying, I want to learn more even about how do I help those who are fostering kids? And so there'll be an opportunity for that. That, again, is on this Mishpat page. Like these are, now listen, you might be doing other things already. You don't have to do these things, but we're trying to say, here's some very practical, real opportunities and ways to get involved. And so we'll close with this. We are a sent people. Friends, it is going to take sacrifice. I mean, I wish I had some like, hey, we figured, we've unlocked the mystery here. We can do all these amazing things and it won't cost you any time or resources. You'll never be inconvenienced, right? Like you can actually just binge a show on Netflix and the poor will be served. It's gonna be amazing, right? Like I don't think that exists yet. So what does it look like? I wanna read you these words from the theologian Bruce Waltke. He said it this way in a very profound, insightful way of thinking about this, in a very convicting way to think about this. He says, the righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of their community. The wicked are those who are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. 
Friends, our calling as the church is to step in and say, how can I disadvantage myself for the advantage of the community? And it'll cost time. It'll cost money. It'll cost like just the convenience of life or other plans that you have. And in those moments when you and I are like, ah, I don't want to do that. I got other things going on. We don't go to like, I should do this. Or I got to, you know, like pull myself up and I got to be better. And I got to be a better Christian. No, we go back to where this started. Pointing ourselves to Jesus, pointing one another to Jesus and realizing, oh, Jesus was completely disadvantaged so that I could have all the rights, the privileges, the advantages of being his son or his daughter. Jesus was literally stripped of every earthly possession that he had, naked, hung upon a cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Having the wrath poured out on him that should have been poured out on us, literally emptying himself so that what? So that we could be brought in that we could have the advantages of being part of his family, belonging, having a place, a secure place, an unshakable hope. That's what we go back to. We, we hear the words of 2 Corinthians 8 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, friends, for your sake and my sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Those are the resources that we have. It's the gospel message. And the more that grips our hearts, the more we will live as people pursuing Mishpat, seeking to bring renewal, and inviting other people to know this Jesus who actually brings life, brings joy. So will you and I choose to disadvantage ourselves and in that place experience the joy that the Lord has for us as his kingdom advances. So let me pray for us. Give us some time to consider these matters. The worship team is going to lead us uh, in song. Um, And as soon as I'm finished uh, praying, if you've got elementary kids, you can go get them and bring them in during this, this next song. But let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness and your grace toward us. Thank you for allowing us to return to this particular series Thank you for the the things that you've invited us to grapple with. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit that you would convict us of places where we're more interested in advantaging ourselves. So may we repent of that. May we confess our our selfishness, our lack of, of belief that there would actually be joy in being a disciple who makes disciples. And God, would you remind us afresh of the good news, not good advice, the good news of what Jesus has accomplished. May that fuel us to be the church that you are calling us and inviting us to be. God, for your glory, for the good of our neighbor, and for just a deep gladness and joy that we get to experience. So God, we surrender all of this to you. I ask that you would work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.